Welcome to the Untold Tales Audio Anthologies. Written by Dr. Jeffrey A. Robinson and narrated by Melissa Del Toro Schaffner and Indy Schaffner. Never was. Are we there yet? Asked Millie from her car seat in the back seat of the large SUV. No, replied her father, without turning around or taking his eyes off the road. Millie moaned, fidgeting in her seat, but she didn't speak again and stared at the floor of the car rather than watch the endless deserts of western Nevada. I told you we should have taken a plane to Las Vegas for your conference, Bill, said Kara. The four-hour drive from Los Angeles is just too much for a five-year-old. Bill grumbled silently to himself before replying. Well, it would have taken just as long with driving to the airport, standing in lines, boarding, and all the rest. I thought this way it wouldn't only be cheaper, but we'd have a car in Las Vegas and Millie could enjoy the scenery of the drive. Kara turned and glanced at their daughter in the back seat, who continued to stare anywhere except out the windows. Well, <laughs> that idea isn't working out so far. Kara smiled as she watched Millie, as her fingers danced on the seat, teasing the edge of the shadows there. Turning back to Bill, she said, Tell me again why you wanted us to go to this conference with you? You've never asked us to go on any of your other trips before. Because our team from the JPL Quantum Science Lab is making a major presentation, and the Institute of Physics is awarding the whole team the Phillips Award for their work. This is a once-in-a-lifetime honor. I thought you'd want to be there. I do, but it's too much for Millie. Besides, she won't understand what's going on. For God's sakes, I don't even understand what you do at the lab. Yeah, I'm sorry. It sounds complicated, but it's really not. In the quantum physics lab, we examine the universe at the smallest possible level. You see, at the subatomic level, the act of observing something changes it. Yeah, you've told me that before, but it doesn't make sense. What it means is it all has to do with energy. The act of detecting something takes energy, so when you detect things at the quantum level, you alter the energy state of that thing that you observe. So, are you saying that if a person sees something, they change it? Sort of, but it doesn't have to be a person. Just a simple detection device will change the energy at very small scales. However, it's not clear whether or not consciousness matters. There's been a debate for decades about whether a conscious observer changes quantum states differently. Some scientists think that the act of a human observing specific events can not only change the quantum state, but redirect it. Do you mean like minds over matter? Asked Kara. No, it's not like that. But there are arguments that the human mind can select or affect what happens when they observe things, and may even be able to direct specific outcomes. Like what? Do you mean like controlling what number will come up if someone rolls dice? She laughed and asked. <laughs> Is that why you're having your conference in Las Vegas? Bill chuckled. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? But it is that type of direct change that we've been investigating. However, it's not easy. What do you mean? Well, one of the senior scientists believes, very strongly, that if a person's attention is sufficiently clear and focused, they can select quantum states going forward. 
and we have had some statistically significant results with a number of selected candidates. Like how? What do you mean? Well, for example, say you flip a coin and it comes up heads, then the subject concentrates on that coin and tries to change the outcome by force of will alone. So it is mind over matter. Hey, this is all theoretical, he said, defending himself. But you've said you've had successes, Kara countered. Well, we've had candidates claim success after hours of focusing on the coin. They stand up and declare success, saying that they changed the coin from heads to tails. The problem is that when we look at the videos, the coin was tails all along. Nevertheless, the subjects insist that they've changed the coin from heads to tails. That's disturbing, said Kara. Yeah, at first we figured out that our test subjects had been focusing on the coin for so long that they'd just got things messed up in their heads. We thought maybe they were victims of auto-hypnosis and just convinced themselves that they had succeeded. <laughs> you mean they were delusional? Yes, some people thought that. However, Gordon, our principal scientist, came up with a new theory. He suggested that the subjects really did alter their universe through their thoughts alone. But how would that even be possible? Well, it wouldn't. Not the way you think. You shouldn't be able to physically alter even something as small as a coin. The subject would have to not only change the coin, but the detectors and video recordings, the people around him, and their memories. It would be like rebuilding everything around the subject. Such a change would take incredible amounts of energy. The energy required to make such a change would be on the scale of converting the entire area to energy and then transforming it back into matter. It would require something like unraveling time and then reweaving reality back together to change what had happened. <laughs> so if it's ridiculous and such a thing couldn't happen, then why continue the research? That's what the Gordon's theory addresses. He believes in the multiverse theory, that there are an infinite number of universes, and he suggested that the subject might, just might, have moved themselves to a different universe that they selected with their mind, one that fits the situation or the outcome they desired. That's why the subject would remember the change, but no one else would. <laughs> You're serious, said Kara. Yes. I mean, the subjects who claim to have changed reality are always so convinced that they really did, so that they can be argued with. The more we try to convince them that they're wrong, the angrier they get. Then there are other details. For instance, all of them are incredibly exhausted after they claim success. Some have passed out and slept for 24 hours or more. And there are a lot of weird coincidences. And you actually believe this? asked Kara. Do you really think that if you focus and believe in something hard enough that you can change reality to make your wishes come true? <laughs> yeah, it sounds ridiculous when you phrase it that way. But that's essentially correct. You have to admit it would explain a lot, like strange stories we hear about odd events or miracles. It could even explain the results of many of our experiments. It sounds like all of you have been experimenting with drugs, laughed Kara. Bill laughed too. <laughs> yeah, 
It does sound crazy, but we have made some very significant progress in other experiments that indicate it may have merit. For instance, we've found the greatest success with younger adults or teenagers. It's as if younger people can focus more and believe in things more strongly than older people who have simply learned over the years that such things aren't possible. It seems like the younger you are, the more open-minded you might be. Or maybe they just haven't learned that it's impossible yet. People. Daddy. Cried a voice from behind them. I have to go potty. Oh, for God's sake, said Bill. Is that a problem? Asked Kara. No. It's just that we passed a highway rest stop about five miles back, and I can't turn around until I get to the next interchange, which is 20 miles further east. Then I'd have to drive all the way back and... Daddy, I gotta go real bad. Damn, he muttered. Reluctantly, he moved over to the leftmost lane, the high-speed lane, and began to slow down. What are you doing? asked Kara. I'm going to try to turn around here by crossing the median. But there's no turnaround here. No, but the ground seems pretty flat, and if I'm careful, I won't get stuck. Oh, God, whispered Kara. Bill slowed and managed to get onto the shoulder of the road before faster cars coming from behind him caught up. Then he turned left and slowly worked his way across the rocky ground toward the westbound lanes, more than 50 feet away. The median was covered with dry grass and brush that was so thick he couldn't see the ground, but Bill slowly continued. At one point, there was a loud scraping sound from underneath the car. Bill figured he was driving over a large rock and silently prayed that he wouldn't damage something on the undercarriage or get stuck. If he did need a tow, he realized that it would take hours for any tow truck to reach them. Then, he also realized that if a cop passed him, right then, that he'd likely get a ticket. It was then that he reconsidered and thought that driving 20 miles to the next exit and coming back would have definitely been a better idea. Millie started crying, and Kara chattered about oncoming approaching traffic coming toward them on the other lanes. Then, Bill finally reached the soft shoulder of the westbound lanes and pressed on the accelerator to merge into the high-speed lane. But the wheels of the SUV spun on the soft sand and gravel and didn't move forward. Bill stopped and tried again, but only managed to move a few inches forward before getting mired once more in the soft ground. Swearing softly, he threw the car in reverse, but only found that his wheels still spun fruitlessly. Then, he tried rocking the car, forward and back, trying to get the SUV unstuck. Suddenly, his rear wheels got a grip on the rocky ground beneath the soft layer of sand on the shoulder, and their SUV lurched forward onto the westbound high-speed lane, just in front of an approaching 18-wheel truck. Millie was crying loudly. Kara screamed. A loud horn blared, and there was a screech of tires skidding along the highway surface. Bill barely had enough time to turn his head to see the light of the oncoming truck before it hit their car. The world seemed to explode, but time slowed for Bill. Broken glass from the nearby windows drifted through the air like sparkling pieces of ice or snow. He tried to count the number of times the car rolled, but he lost count. 
The whole time they tumbled, he struggled with the steering wheel to keep himself from being thrown from the car. Then, unexpectedly, everything was quiet, and time resumed its original flow. The smell of smoke and gasoline filled the car. He was so dizzy that he could barely move. Glancing down to where his hands still gripped the steering wheel, he found it twisted and bent to the left. As the burning smell of the deployed airbag faded, he almost casually noticed that his right arm was bent in too many places. There was no pain, but he was certain that the human arm shouldn't have that many elbow joints. Then he realized that their SUV was lying on its left side. The windshield was gone, and the dashboard was bent so much that he could see the road outside through a gap beneath the dashboard. Turning his head slowly, he saw Kara hanging in the straps of her seatbelt above him. The passenger door had been shoved in so far that her body had been crushed. Her head was strangely misshaped, and her face was covered with blood, which slowly dripped down on him like black rain. Her eyes were open, but those lifeless eyes looked past him with a cold, unblinking stare. She was clearly dead. Struggling, he twisted further in his seat to try to see Millie. Pain flared in his broken arm as he fought to turn around. He cried out once, but he finally managed to get a glimpse of her. She appeared unharmed. Her car seat had spared her from the brunt of the impact with a truck, and she hung in her restraints, a look of horror across her face. Her eyes were wide, and she was muttering, over and over again. Then she closed her eyes and squeezed them tight as if she could make everything that she saw go away. Bill tried to reassure her but found it hard to breathe. He gasped once more in an effort to speak but didn't make a sound. Facing forward once more, he tried again to say her name, but instead... He sprayed blood onto the steering wheel and the collapsed airbag in front of him. As he tried to understand what all the blood meant, despite the bright afternoon light, the world slowly faded into darkness. As the blaring sound of the horn faded, Bill realized that the 18-wheel truck had managed to brake just in time. The bumper of the truck lay just inches from Kara's partially opened window, and the smell of diesel fumes quickly filled the car. Squinting against the bright headlights of the truck, Bill glanced at Kara, who was silhouetted against the night sky. She, too, appeared to be disoriented and confused. Wait, he thought to himself. Hadn't it just been daytime? He paused, and it took a significant effort for Bill to loosen his grip on the steering wheel in front of him, before he managed to address Kara. I, I, I'm sorry, he stammered. Kara nodded, looking around. She started to speak, but only managed to get out a feeble. Did we, I, I mean, were we just in an accident? Bill nodded, then paused and shook his head. I'm not sure. I thought for a moment we had, but I guess we were lucky. Really, really lucky. Kara agreed, 
nodding emphatically once more. Then, she stammered. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like, for a second, I, I mean, I guess I'm just having a really crazy sense of deja vu. Me too, said Bill. Then, almost in a panic, he turned toward the back seat, remembering Millie. Fortunately, he found her sitting quite undisturbed in her car seat. She smiled cheerfully, and when Bill asked if she was okay, she said, Oh yes, I'm fine now, and I'm glad you're okay now too. Bill's eyebrows furrowed, and he asked, What do you mean by that? She didn't immediately reply, and after a second asked, Millie, did you do something? Oh yes, the other place was not good, so I just closed my eyes and remembered how it should have been, so that the other place never was. Then she yawned so much that he thought for a moment that it was a silent scream. But then she simply smiled once more and said, Anyways, that was real hard. I'm tired, Daddy. I'm going to sleep now. Then she closed her eyes and immediately fell asleep. Bill reached out to her to shake her and wake her up, but he stopped when he touched the seatbelt restraint of her car seat. He felt something wet, and when he pulled his hand back, he saw a single drop of blood on his fingertip. He then examined her gently sleeping form, but Millie didn't appear to be hurt or injured in any way, so he couldn't figure out where that drop of blood had come from, except for that strange image that had flashed through his mind. It was then that the truck driver tapped on the driver's side window of Bill's SUV. Bill lowered the window, and the truck driver spoke to him, but Bill didn't hear a word that was said. He fought to retain that fading memory, but it vanished like smoke in the air. He knew it had been important, but, like a fading dream, he couldn't recall what it was. All he could recall was a strange sense of deja vu and that single drop of blood. Thank you for listening. We want to wish a very happy birthday to our own Dr. Jeffrey A. Robinson. Today, September 15th, is Jeff's birthday. Happy birthday, Jeff. Please leave a comment on any of our platforms and wish Jeff a very happy birthday. We work so hard to bring you these original science fiction short stories, and we hope that you appreciate them as much as we enjoy creating them. And to our listeners, fans, and patrons, thank you so much for your continued support and listening to our podcast and our original stories. We are always striving to bring you the best stories and storytelling here at the Untold Tales podcast. You can go to the link on the bottom of the show notes in every episode and find a support this podcast link. We value bringing original, high-quality stories to you every month, and we appreciate your support to keep this podcast ad-free. Thank you so much, and have a great day.